To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And of course, you know, Biden capitalized on that through making all these promises on the campaign trail about immigration. But actually what the the lesson for them was not to be, you know, pro-immigration. Their, the lesson for them was like, look how Trump used immigration to win the election. And so now, and, and, it, and it's, it's sort of what played out. I mean, a lot of what was happening in that two-year period after Biden took office and was refusing to end Title 42 was their fear around the midterms. Patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. We couldn't do any of this without you. If you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes. We love to hear your thoughts and about what resonates with you. Pick up a copy of Health Communism at your local bookstore and pre-order Jules's book coming at the end of January from Verso, A Short History of Trans Misogyny, or request them both at your public library and follow us at deathpanel underscore. Today, I am joined by returning guest and friend of the panel, Silky Shaw. Silky is the executive director of Detention Watch Network, a national coalition building power to abolish immigration detention in the United States. And she has a book coming out this spring from Haymarket that I'm really excited for called Unbuild Walls, Why Immigrant Justice Needs Abolition. Silky, welcome back to the Death Panel. I'm so excited to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks so much. It's always great to be here. So thanks so much for inviting me back. Well, I'm so glad that you could join me today to talk about this and help contextualize something that's been in the news a lot throughout December, uh, this so-called border deal that is being debated in the United States. Before we get into that, do you want to set up at all sort of what Detention Watch Network is? Because I think it's also important to sort of give some perspective on, on sort of where your expertise comes from today. Yeah, absolutely. So Detention Watch Network is a national network coalition. We have about 100 organizational members and a number of individual members who have been formally detained as well. And our work, our aim, even if, you know, Detention Watch, it sounds like we're a watchdog organization and we do a lot of research and sort of understanding of what's happening in detention, but we also believe in the abolition of detention. So we do organizing, advocacy work, and sort of narrative comms work to try to put pressure on the federal government, state and local governments to end immigrant detention and shut down detention facilities, defund detention. And we do that around the country. And, you know, we have a number of campaigns that are trying to to really reduce the scope and size of detention, which which has fluctuated significantly during the pandemic. And so we're, we're continuing to fight for that. I think there's a lot of challenges right now as we've seen detention numbers go up, which I'm sure we can talk about. But um, for more information, you can go to detentionwatchnetwork.org. And we have a lot of information about how folks can get involved. Thank you so much for setting that up, because, you know, sometimes it can almost be misleading necessarily, like just to hear someone's org name and not not get like the full <laughs> breakdown of like what it is exactly. But I really appreciate the knowledge production that Detention Watch Network does, like is really 
it's key in the way that it sort of centers and rematerializes the actual sort of target of immigration policies, right? The people at the center of this that so often are immediately abstracted by both Democrats and Republicans, which is something that I hope that we can work against a little bit today. So just for some context, I know we have a lot of listeners in the United States. We have a lot of listeners who are not in the United States. This is something that has been in the news because there was like a rush to get this deal done before the Christmas break. Um, The Christmas break obviously came and the deal did not materialize. So this is something that when Congress is back in session, second week of January is all of a sudden going to be everywhere. Again, this is going to be back on the table. So in mid-December, the Biden administration tried to like help resolve ongoing negotiations in Congress over U.S. border and immigration policy, quote unquote, that's also tied up with, of course, war funding to Ukraine, funding to Israel to sort of upgrade U.S. fiscal support of the months long escalation in genocide and ecocide in Palestine. You know, this is where that 14.3 billion extra dollars that Biden wants to send to support the genocide would come from is this bill and this border negotiation. Um, So there's, you know, also an additional eight billion dollars in there that is supposed to already be going to border militarization, to increasing surveillance, detainment, incarceration, and deportation of migrants. And these talks were in the Senate between Democrats and Republicans over this border policy. So in mid-December, the Biden administration floated a proposal to kind of try and settle the debate and suggested this idea of what if we let border agents expel migrants without asylum screenings on days when border crossings are particularly high. So like on days where there are somewhere between three and 5,000 people, for example, at a border crossing, then this new policy could kick in. Um, That exact threshold is one of the minutia that's being debated. But what's really important to note is that like what is on the table here is terrible, but it is not some sort of historical aberration. And I'm not even sure that personally I understand the full scope. And that is why I'm really glad that Silky is here today, because she does. And you may remember Silky from our conversation last year about Title 42, which is the Trump, quote unquote, Trump era border restriction stood up in the name of the pandemic that Biden said that he would remove as part of his pitch during the campaign. This is something that, you know, right before he came into office in 2021, he said, I will restore and strengthen the asylum system. I'm going to fix these Trump border policies that, you know, are so terrible. And of course, As of July 2023, however, um, we're seeing about double the amount of people per day detained by ICE, 30,000 people a day, which is twice as much as when Biden took office in 2021, which was around like 15,500 people a day. So even ex-Biden admin officials have been saying on record that the Biden administration is, quote unquote, like adopting Trump border policies, abandoning the Democratic mission. But as I think we'll get into today, Democrats throwing migrants under the bus to make deals with Republicans is something that has a kind of long history, even in recent memory. So I'm hoping today that we can talk through, you know, the full story here on the so-called border deal and then get to the root of like what's really going on. And then I'm excited later, Silky, to hear your thoughts on so many different aspects of this that that just take us way further than the standard sort of conversation around protecting the asylum system. So to start us off, I'm not totally sure how to put this, but like 
All of the coverage of these negotiations are just really misleading. That's for a number of reasons. Sometimes information is buried where the actual important details are, like the money for Israel um, that Biden wants, for example. These things can get lost in the melodrama of the Senate politicking narrative that tends to dominate a lot of the coverage. And also, I think this is more insidious and even more misleading. Sometimes you see the two sides of this deal represented as making, um, in the case of Republicans, a legitimate demand, and in the case of Democrats, legitimate or reasonable concessions of some kind, um, all of which you know will be inconsequential because the real focus of the piece is like, oh, will they, won't they get the deal done by Christmas break? <laughs> right. So, of course, they did not get it done. Again, they're poised to pick things back up where they left off when Congress is back in session, that is the week of January 8th. So because this thing is so muddy, Silky, can you start us off with an actually good description of what's going on here? As my co-host Jules has written, (laughs) never underestimate the value of a good description of a problem. I mean, I think that seems like something that many are determined to avoid when it comes to this bargain that's on the table. And especially if I got anything wrong in what I just set up, please, please correct me because... As I said, this whole situation is sort of buried under three or four narratives that kind of stand up as these facades in front of like what's actually going on, which is the way that essentially the global north uses populations of the global south and the conditions imposed on countries in the global south as a policy bargaining chip in so many extractive and terrible ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, It's been hard to totally make sense of the moment because I think as people who've worked on migrant justice issues for a very long time, like trade-offs are just how this works. There's always trade-offs on these questions and and parts of the movement have been much more open to trade-offs. And in that context, often what is being traded off is more interior enforcement, detention, deportation, and also more border militarization. And in those contexts, what they're often trying to do is get a legalization bill, get a path to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented people in the U.S. And that's that's sort of in a lot of ways, I think many people understand the immigrant rights movement as a, a movement that is just trying to get a legalization bill, but don't see all these other intersections of what people are trying to do, which is, is really prevent deportations, have better working conditions, all these other things. And so what's wild about this moment is that at this point, you know, For a long time, these questions of trade-offs have been, well, can we get citizenship for some people and trade off, you know, for anybody who's coming to the U.S., anybody who has a past criminal conviction, we'll just, you know, let them target them, let them go ahead and increase detention and deportation um, just to get, you know, some citizenship for some people. And now... It's not even a question of immigration. It's actually like, can we get Ukraine funding? Can we get this Israel funding through and make all these restrictionist border policies, immigration policies, even we'll we'll make them worse just to get this funding through. And so it's sort of I think what's so wild about this moment is just like, oh, like immigrants are a bargaining chip. They have been for a very long time. But I think this is just like a whole other level that the Democrats are going to to pass this funding. And and that's sort of terrifying because I think when you look at the history of the system, every time we've seen the increase of mass detention, and and we can talk about this more and and um just to name, you know, detention is a misnomer. It's it's mm-hmm. prison these are prisons and jails that are being used for immigrants who are in immigration proceedings, deportation proceedings. Anytime it's expanded, it's it's always these very like 
you know, chance contingent moments, um, totally arbitrary, like, you know, oh, it's the war on drugs. We're just going to expand attention. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, the Oklahoma City bombing happened. And oh, actually, let's make things even worse for immigrants. Um, and then obviously 9-11 is, is the one in somewhat recent memory. And so I think this is one of those moments, I think, where a lot of us as, you know, activists, organizers on immigration, especially on these sort of intersection of criminalization and immigration are wondering like, wow, how far are they going to go? And, um, and I think all the, all the things you named, I think, you know, the things on the table, I think there's a lot of coverage on the asylum piece and sort of raising the credible fear standard, making it harder for people to seek asylum, but there's so much that's just going to impact everybody. And, and actually every single policy they're sort of proposing could mean a lot more detention or making it a lot harder for people to get out of detention. Um, expedited removal, obviously, which is just a very complicated thing. Um, I think one way to talk about it is sort of fast track deportations. There's, I mean, there's already mm -hmm. very little due process in the context of the immigration system, but this is even like a higher level of a lack of due process where they can just like fast track a deportation. They don't have to go through any sort of procedure whatsoever. And right now it applies, you know, it could apply very broadly to everywhere in the U.S. for anybody who's come here over the last two years and, you know, there's a question of their status, but it doesn't apply that way right now. And so it, it actually, I mean, it could impact a lot of people who have come recently and really increase the possibility of ICE raids happening, which were really horrific during especially the Bush and Trump administrations. So I think, you know, that is that is a huge piece. Uh, there's been floating of more family detention. There's been, I mean, a lot, like so many things have been on the table. And I think, I think the thing to understand here is that you know, this this supplemental for a period of time was, OK, money for Israel, money for Ukraine, money for border militarization. And then the Republicans were like, well, actually, we we, you know, whatever money is fine, but we want to change immigration policy. And the Democrats just kind of fell into the trap. And the thing that, you know, they don't realize is that um, or they just don't care <laughs> is that all the proposals are actually going to make things so much worse for people at the border and actually make and make the conditions even feel that much more heightened in terms of the coverage that's happening now. And, and, and the point you were making about coverage, I think, is an important one is that, you know, if you read The New York Times, if you read a lot of the coverage out there, it just sort of like even even in the coverage that's been happening around um, Trump's recent comments or the Miller proposal that came out um, recently about, you know, how they're just literally going to target every undocumented immigrant and take away birthright citizenship. There's all these, I mean, it's just absolutely hysterical at this point, the things that are coming out. Um, but they're accepting this line that there's so much migration happening and we and, and we can't handle it when in reality, it, it's sort of like a perfect storm of things because the social safety nets aren't there in the US in the same way in places like New York or Chicago because border policy has become that much more restrictionist. These things are, it's actually that much harder to like process people and create better conditions for people who are coming. Um, and so it's sort of cyclical, like they're, they're, they're creating, I mean, in so many ways, everything that's happening at the border is completely manufactured. It's a manufactured crisis that the Republicans have stoked and that the de Democrats have also been foundational to creating as well. Um, and so I think we're in that moment where we're like, OK, here here's another moment where they're just about to make these like very mm -hmm. arbitrary policy decisions. And what and I think for many of us who have worked on this issue 
you know, after the 1996 laws passed after 9-11, um, it's terrifying to think what this could be. And um, and so and so I think that that's sort of the weight of what's happening right now is, whoa, you're you're potentially going to make this so much worse. What does that not only mean for people who are trying to come to the U.S., but actually people in the U.S. who there can just be, you know, like I said, those fast track deportations, much more targeting, much harder to get people out of detention. Um, it It's going to make a lot of things worse. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron-only episodes, and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the Death Panel.